I'm Kelly Llewellyn. And I'm Greg Homme. And this is Caveman and Counselor. Welcome to Caveman and Counselor, the podcast that delves into the world of mental health and recovery. Hosted by licensed marriage and family therapist Kelly Llewellyn and me, Greg Homme, your advocate for all things behavioral health. This episode will feature a discussion about dementia, which impacts 50 million globally. And dementia is a general term for memory loss, language, problem solving, and other thinking abilities. There are a few types of dementias, but Alzheimer's is the most common cause, accounting for an estimated 60 to 70 percent of cases. But age still remains the strongest risk factor, with the risk for dementia uh, doubling every five years after the age of 65. And dementia is a growing concern for women in the U.S. because almost two-thirds of Americans with Alzheimer's are women. Uh, We know that physical activity and a healthy lifestyle can reduce the risk of developing dementia, but unfortunately, as of yet, there is no cure. Only treatments that can progress um, or slow the progression of the disease improve the quality of life. And remember, we aim to enhance understanding of dementia its effects on patients and their families. But this podcast is for informational purposes only and isn't a substitute for professional advice. So today we're going to welcome Kay Hammond. She is the author of Pathways, uh, a guidebook for dementia and Alzheimer's family caregivers. You know, Kay, you cared for your parents, and I'm going to let you speak to that as, as we go along. We um, also, we're going to discuss preventative measures, um, treatment options, and coping mechanisms for caregivers. Additionally, we have Elaine Simmerlink with us, who's going to share her experience as she has caregiven three different people, so certainly an expert um, in, this, in this issue of caregiving. Our discussion should interest mental health professionals, caregivers, families with affected members, or anyone seeking a deeper understanding of dementia. So, settle in, ready your notepad, and brace for a profound understanding of dementia. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to Caveman and Counselor, and leave us a review. Hey, of all the podcasts so far, this has been um, our podcast with the most content, so thanks for joining us on this educational journey. Let's plunge into our discussion on dementia, its impacts, and how best to respond. Hey, uh, Elaine and Kay, thank you so much for being here. As I mentioned earlier, this this has been very important to me, um, having worked with families mm-hmm. who have Alzheimer's and the caregivers that they who've been struggling with that, um, along with you know certainly it being a genetic uh, a piece for so many people, um, and uh, I have people in my own family who've been affected by um, mm-hmm. dementia. So um, I'd like to get started. Uh, Elaine, would you give Mm -hmm. us your specific history, just Mm -hmm. real briefly, um, how many people you've cared for um, and what their diagnoses were? Sure. There was my mother. She was a two-time cancer survivor. Um, And comparing the the ailment of cancer to dementia was incredible because my mother knew what was happening. She knew what I was trying to do for her. Whereas my dad did not. So your dad he, had, had dementia. Yes, mm-hmm. he had dementia. Mm-hmm. So um, after my mom passed away, because she actually was watching over my dad. Mm-hmm. So when she was gone, I <laughs> I inherited my dad. So, mm-hmm. so um, I actually brought him home with me. And there was my dad and my husband and myself. And um, for a number of years, um, my husband didn't quite understand, as the rest of my family did not understand, that you cannot teach a person with dementia anymore. You Mm -hmm. can't say, no, you don't do it that way. You do it Mm -hmm. this way. Um, I think it was about the last year uh, Mm -hmm. that my dad was alive that my husband actually got it and mm. god bless him he actually <laughs> he actually put a pair of depends on when it became necessary for my husband to for my father to start wearing them because i told my dad that we couldn't get his underwear anymore that he had to start wearing these so my husband 
put them on and showed my husband, my father, God and bless him. Um, mm -hmm. said, yeah, they're really comfortable and everything. He did so really that's well love, with that. isn't it? When your husband will put on a pair, it depends yes. for you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that really Yes, is. I was very proud of him at that point. I bet. <laughs> and then after that, mm -hmm. um, when my dad passed away, uh, then my mother-in-law came on board. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have her ver for very long, but she was very quiet, and she had the dementia. And our, our biggest problem with her was her medications. We had mm. to make sure that she did not get into them ah, mm -hmm. and uh, double take them or sure. not take them. So, yeah, to really almost baby proof, adult proof the house, huh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I did caregive for a while through an agency. Oh, wow. And believe it or not, that was so much easier. I bet. Because I got to go home afterwards, you know. Yeah, and you were already such an expert in how to do it. And probably you had a lot of knowledge to give the family. Yeah, yeah. it did. Yes, I, I was proud of that, actually. Yeah. 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 How can caregivers effectively support individuals with dementia? And that's really a whole stage thing, isn't it? Because there are stages to this. Listening and, and observing. Um, sometimes they're saying one thing, but that's not really what's bothering them. Hmm. So you really have to pay attention. You can't be doing other things while you're talking with your, your loved one. Um, people don't understand that they're in their own world. They're in, in the moment. Um, my dad, for instance, uh, kept wanting to go home. He wanted to call his mother. Um, you have to understand he was 90 when he passed. So I would say that, uh, your mom is shopping with your sister and we'll we'll call her when she gets back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Oh, that's one thing. Kay can explain it a lot better than I can about the lie, the uh, therapeutic, therapeutic thera tales, therapeutic yep. tales. Yes, yep. I coined that uh, when I was writing my book because even if the term white lie, growing up, a lie was a lie. Mm -hmm. And so I just had the idea that, no, this is a tale and it's therapeutic. Why is it therapeutic? An individual with any form of dementia is asking a question and they want an answer. Mm -hmm. And so you tell them the answer and somebody else might say, but you know that's not true. Mm -hmm. But it assuaged their anxiety. It mm -hmm. satisfied their need to know. And so that's why I think of these um, exercises is therapeutic. There is absolutely right. nothing but negativity to say, mm -hmm. Dad, your mother's been dead for 50 years. Yeah. Whereas, Mom, your, your grandma's at the store. Yeah. They understand that. Yeah. There's an answer. Right. And that takes you over that edge, that right. hurdle. And they're very mm -hmm. satisfied. <laughs> no, nobody right. would, that's gotten even to the point yeah. of, moderate levels of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. or other dementias is going to say, now you know that's not true. Mm -hmm. We've actually composed um, scripts to for for the same question you always get, well, I want to call my mom. You can you can answer exactly the same way over and over again, and they're fine. They're fine with it. Right. Yes, they are. Right. Well, I think that people, just clients I've worked with who've, you know, maybe told their dad says, you know, I want to, I want to see my wife. I want to see your mom. And the daughter mm -hmm. will say, well, my dad, mom's been dead five years. And he oh, goes God, into this yeah. great grief. Exactly. And, you know, and over and over. So I think that's what you're talking about is avoiding yes. having somebody go through repetitive grief for, no, for no reason. Because when they hear that exactly. each time. It's the first time they've it's heard it. It's as if it's happening now. Mm -hmm. That's right. So mm -hmm. what did you accomplish? No. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, it, it's a negative They're not going to learn new information, as you say. They're Kate. not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tips for caring for someone with dementia. Um, okay. Well, I think what Elaine talked about, number one, is you have to be, first of all, you need to have information. Mm -hmm. you, you have to 
uh, delete denial, and you have to embrace knowledge. And you have to realize that this is not going to go away. You have to know everything you possibly can about these diseases. Uh, the reason why it's so important, Kelly, to know what form of dementia someone has is that each form has its own unique characteristics, behaviors, mm -hmm. and timeline. Okay. So Alzheimer's can last from three years, as in my mother's case, 22 years, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. extremely unusual. Uh, but if you are looking at uh, another more common form of frontal temporal lobe dementia or Lewy body dementia, mm -hmm. both of those are becoming much more prevalent because of science. These are very aggressive forms of dementia, but they have very different behavioral patterns. Mm. Uh, their life expectancy is much shorter. So you want to know as a caregiver, care partner, and as a family, what are the expectations? What do we need to know about these conditions so that we can manage them, which is all we're going to do. So learning everything you possibly can. This is not on my list of questions, but it's something I do want to ask because I've 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 seen this with my with people, you know, with the with the loved ones of the person di diagnosed with dementia. You know, if like every form of grief, at first there's denial, and then mm -hmm. I see people. I've watched people take people through all kinds of treatments that they are hoping that they're going to cure, mm -hmm. which we know have no scientific yes. efficacy. It's just, they're just not going to work at this point. Um, That's right. We don't have anything. So I would. Say, how important is it to go get therapy um, when you have somebody diagnosed with dementia? How useful was that to either of you? I really think it's essential. Um, I'm a huge advocate of support groups. Yes. Uh, we do them weekly. Uh, I've been facilitating support groups for 10 years. And Elaine, that's how we originally met years and years ago. The benefit is you're talking to people that will understand you. And you will learn from each other. Right. You will also, uh, I think, helps you recognize reality because everybody in a group is going to be at a different stage in that mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. And you discover that you're absolutely not alone. Being able to engage with a trusted resource is crucial. Uh, and I think, some, I think very much that objective third party which mm -hmm. is what you're getting an individual mm -hmm. uh, support uh, with a therapist or in a support group, right. if it's well-structured, is crucial because our goals, our goals are equal. We want you to be informed. We want you to learn to delete denial and mm -hmm. embrace acceptance. My observations over almost 14 years is that the sooner you get to acceptance, the greater the release of the burden is. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's going to be an easy road, but you now know what you're dealing with. And mm -hmm. the other thing that's important is to help instill that life isn't over for you as a couple or as a family because right. of that diagnosis. You could have years ahead of a quality life. You're adjusting as you go. But they need to have someone they really trust who will level with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's very, very important. Mm -hmm. and it, it, th I also think it's important to know that uh, there are some conditions that can mimic Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia, and they're very treatable. There could mm -hmm. be there could be brain tumors, changes in your blood sugar, sodium, and calcium yeah. levels, mm -hmm. low levels of vitamin B twelve uh, are examples, Even, and certain medications. What? Even. Uh, being dehydrated. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dehydration. But those, but those we would really see temporarily and they would be they would resolve upon upon treatment of the issue. If you if you are if you be honest and say there's something out of out of sync here with how they normally behave, mm -hmm. the first thing you should do is go to the doctors and get a, a comprehensive blood panel. Mm -hmm. the, the other condition is chronic alcohol abuse. Oh, totally. But those things can be ameliorated by understanding what the condition is. Yeah. In some cases, of course, with alcoholism, after years and years of use, there is, you mm -hmm. know, there is dementia that is, there can yeah, be dementia that is irreversible. That's right. It's Korsakoff yeah. syndrome. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Greg? 
I was just listening at some sense fascinated, but the other side is, is like, I'm terrified because that process is, is, and especially for and, and, and men is that they're supposed to be able to take care of themselves and, and having that slowly erode away. But I, I guess part of maybe is the, 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 if there's an upside to it is, is that when it's happening to the individual, don't they just slowly just their as their memory fades, they don't even realize their memory's fading. So it's, is that a, is that my understanding? Eventually, Eventually yeah. Eventually. Yeah. But it is mm -hmm. important to recognize that the individual who is developing cognitive impairment is acutely aware of it long before their spouses. Um, mm -hmm. We we do um, we try to cover for ourselves, yep. right? Um, we often hear Elaine can verify this. We often would hear in groups. Now that I look back, I can yes. see that. Um, and mm -hmm. yes, they will get to a point that they don't remember. Mm -hmm. And of course, that is easier for them. I will mm -hmm. share a, a personal anecdote. My mother was very aware uh, over the years that she was losing her awareness and losing control and truly frightened by it, uh, very vulnerable. And I remember she just cried incessantly. It was very painful. And I remember saying to her doctor one day, I hope you don't misunderstand, but I will be so grateful when my mother no longer remembers that she doesn't yeah. remember. Because she went into a different state. Um, and I will tell you, Greg, husbands um, are the least likely to be open to getting care for uh, anything. in home care. <laughs> For uh, anything. What are you? That's your, that's great. You're going to be crazy. You, it's uh, you know, it is your responsibility as a husband. You made this vow. You're going to take care of it. My father's mantra to me was, "You need to learn everything you can about this so I can fix it." <laughs> Only men, with all due respect, say that because they feel obligated. Okay. Yeah. So well, I, if we we could I encourage men to be yeah, and it's sad because we watch a lot of the husbands. Um, suffer a lot longer in releasing denial that they can't yeah. fix it. And that's painful to watch. Um, so th that's a really important point. Uh, One of the things you can do, though, Greg, is you can, you can prepare ahead mm -hmm. of time. Get all of your uh, power of attorneys together, um, all of your important papers. Make sure that yes. you both know the combinations to the safe and and those kind of things mm -hmm. you know because you might go or your partner may go you don't know yeah uh it's so important if there could be the first thing someone does after a diagnosis uh or maybe the second is to get real and mm -hmm. say i don't know how long they're going to be able to contribute and help. Mm -hmm. So we need to have powers of attorney in place. People think because they're married, they don't have to do that. The great mistake. So oh, you have to have financial powers uh, in place and you have to have healthcare powers in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially your trusts have to be updated. All of that mm -hmm. has to be done. Yeah. And um, you can't fix that later. That can't be changed legally mm -hmm. later. So you have to you address it You can't go to now. the bank with someone who doesn't understand why you're there. That and doesn't ask them work. Yeah, to make right. changes. Yeah. It becomes very so, difficult. I mean, I'm I'm assuming there, and probably if someone contacted your association, that, uh -huh. that you have like basically a worksheet where you. Yes, absolutely. You know, we have a checklist. <laughs> yeah. So you're, what you're kind of saying is like the quicker you get over the denial of it and get into mm -hmm. the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Is where it makes it easier on your caregiver, really, not mm -hmm. you so much, but your Absolutely. caregiver. Absolutely. Oh, you've hit it's the nail on life the Life-altering. Life-altering. Mm -hmm. We've we've known people that mm -hmm. procrastinated, and then when they wanted to make the changes, they could. Yeah, they can't because exactly. legally, right? They are right. not a, an attorney is not allowed if they know that there's a diagnosis. They're not allowed. Yeah. No matter yeah. how well they know that right. person, they can't do it. 
I find a lot of times two people had a very long-term relationship, for example, with their accountant. So let's say, you know, that, mm-hmm. let's say, let's just be traditional and say it's a guy who's been in charge of finances, but people near in the mm-hmm. 40s and 50s, right? Um, and so oftentimes mm-hmm. that accountant, if he can be, he, she can feel vulnerable, go talk to him about what's going on with them and take yes. your checklist, just kind of get it together with your accountant ahead of time. It's, I've had some wonderful accountants do that with some of my clients. Mm-hmm. Some of the families that I've yes. worked with, and it really takes a tremendous amount off of the caregiver. It's a burden just, off of them, mm-hmm. and at the same is true if you've had a trusted attorney for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know of two attorneys who were forthright and said, "I've known these people for thirty-five or fifty years. I know exactly what they would want, and I am comfortable modifying the trust uh, because I know them so long." But you can't walk in and plunk down, well, let me say this. You could. There are some very disreputable attorneys, just Mm -hmm. like anything else, that will, for a price, modify things, um, but not in the favor of the care partner, usually. Usually, I mean, it's just, it's just, and somehow just talking about it, it's kind of terrifying because all of a sudden it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you have this consequence coming and you don't know exactly when it's going to happen or when you pass that threshold. No. So it, I mean, I, listening to you guys talk, I know it's all uh, so appropriate and needed, but it's still terrifying. Just mm-hmm. to, it is. Especially and, you when know, you first get the diagnosis, it must be, it just must be undescribable. Yes, mm-hmm. because now you have finality. You know what's wrong. And the, yeah. the other thing yeah. is, on a day-to-day basis, we, we dismiss this, but on a day-to-day basis, any one of us could get a diagnosis of mm-hmm. a terminal condition. Yeah. Uh, we could be in a car accident. Yeah. So, but we're procrastinators. And I loved, adored my husband, but my mm. husband, not but, but and my husband refused yeah. to address a will. Refused. Mm. And he died suddenly in front of me unexpectedly. Wow. And I had to go through. A lot. And all that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I was able to avoid that, but I it was an unnecessary exercise, which was very challenging. So mm-hmm. it's just a day thing. It's just you go to the doctors once a year, you go to the dentist, go to the attorney, get it done, know it's in place. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Bite the bullet, write the check, get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and that's really, uh, you know, we talk about making our final plans, arrangements in advance, and more and more people do that. Mm-hmm. What a gift that is, because mm-hmm. at that moment, the last thing you want to do is be going into the mortuary and doing all that. It is a tremendous gift for the family. Just tremendous. The same thing is yeah. taking care of all the legal issues now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for the shoot of all. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes... <laughs> As you say, you can't really pick. Sometimes it's already too late. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it can be. And then I was thinking, we're living longer. So yes. this is going to be more and more and more a societal issue. It is already a societal well, issue. Yeah. I, it truly, this is the problem. And the reason women are, you know, have two thirds the, the percentage of diagnoses is the women are living the longest. Yeah. So it isn't that that there's something genetic about the women, it's that we live longer. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah, so that's sense. an issue. And in today's world, Greg, you just hit a nail on the head. Very few people nationally ever plan to live as long as we are now living. Yeah, that, and they've yeah. outlived their money, yeah. or they will. And mm-hmm. if you didn't buy long-term care insurance, um, mm-hmm. which only 10% of the country has, uh, it's going to be out of pocket. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how like, often people expensive. will come <laughs> yes. and people come to the office Very. and they say, well, we have, you know, I have Medicare. <laughs> and they truly believe that Medicare covers this. And it's heart wrenching to say, no, it doesn't. If there does come a time when you need to share the care, as we like to say, which is either have in-home support come in and help you or make a decision to place your loved one in a qualified licensed care home mm-hmm. where the state makes the mandates and licensing where you have professional caregivers and to Elaine's point 
they clock out in eight hours. Mm-hmm. They may really cherish the persons that they're looking after, but they go home. They're when you're exhausted. doing this yourself, exactly. you don't go home. Mm-hmm. Right. You you never turn off the phone. You're there. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's, it's crucial. The reason I personally... Uh, after I wrote my book and found this statistic from the Alzheimer's Association and a Stanford research, at the time it was six out of 10 caregivers. Today, it's probably because of the number of people, it's probably closer to seven to seven and a half caregivers out of 10 mm-hmm. that will develop chronic life-altering conditions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we say to every family member, you have already lost one member, I'm talking as a as a an adult child, you've already lost one person. We lost our mothers years before she died. You don't want to lose your father or your mother. And when my father died as a direct result of that burden, my mother lived ten more years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. As my sister said, of course she did. Um you know we have no control. We just have no control. And and you're entitled to have a life. You really are entitled to right. have a life. Nobody, this is the luck of a very bad hand of cards that mm. you drew. And if we could encourage people to do one thing, it would be to change their daily lifestyle. We have research, proven research, many brilliant doctors who've done research that show that if you change your diet, if you do exercise, you don't have to be running a marathon. No. 20 minutes a day of steady walking, a healthy diet, socialization, and spirituality are critical. And those are four pillars that we know positively make a difference in your life. And I don't care how old you are, today is the day to start. Mm-hmm. Just forget the French fries, right. the fried food. Get over it. Think about how much healthier you can be. <laughs> I, I know it's not easy. I know. You know? It's, uh, well, it's easy to say. Yes, oh, it's very. not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right there with you. You know, every now and then, a guy, I'm just having the French fries. Yeah. Um, but we know, we know uh, of of the efficacy of these changes. Um, there's an organization called the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. It's been in business for 30 years. It's a nonprofit, and they have done international studies with hospitals and researchers all over the world. And they are responsible for what we call these four pillars, ARPF. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant organization. Um, my colleagues and I are, are certified yeah. brain longevity specialists and it's a lifestyle okay what was speaking of lifestyle what were the nuns there was a cloister of nuns that were studied who when upon autopsy they found out their their brains were full of what looked like alzheimer's and i think or no dementia and yet they had they had no symptoms of it do you remember what that cloister was gosh i know of what you're speaking and i can't remember they had no they had plenty of plaque in their in their Mm. brain but no but but no symptoms and there are people that if you choose to donate your brain to science, mm-hmm. it's a huge gift. There are people like that, that cultivate and build the um, uh, plaque, mm-hmm. uh, but don't end but up the having... Brain, the brain the, takes over and the brain over, compensates. Right. And it's that exercise, when you think about these nuns, exercise, healthy diet, community, spirituality. And remember, the stress factor diet. in our lives mm-hmm. are... Our, our greatest enemy. It's probably worse than French fries, honestly. Uh, <laughs> the stress factor in our lives because it just is debilitating. And I would say, guys, I would say it's not so much the stress factor. It's how we've learned to respond to stress. Because mm-hmm. we know stress is important. It's been called you stress is very helpful for us just a little bit. But how we respond to difficulties what are, you know, as Greg and I oftentimes say, Greg, is a, half, is a glass half full or half empty? 
Right. (laughs) That's been her mantra to me. Forever. Hey, the glass is full. So you're talking about how people do hide dementia. And for years, you know, I've seen it go on for a while, and then the spouse looks back, the loved one looks back, go, oh, yeah, they did this and this. I remember that odd behavior. It makes sense. But one day something happens. One day something happens where the person who becomes a caregiver goes, oh, there's something going on. And dementia isn't when you can't find your car keys is we oftentimes can't find our car keys, right, everybody? It's when you look at your car keys and you can't remember what they're for. That's correct. It's something that happens where the family's like, hold it. That's, it's like... It's like if Greg looked at me and said, now, what is this this tool, this power tool for? Right. You know, you'll, you know, I'd be like, what are you talking about? That would tell me, you know, obviously something's wrong here. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's going to happen uh, individually because everybody progresses with these diseases uh-huh. on a different pace. Different pace. Uh, I, I had an example with my mother. My mother had a lot of um, emotional issues. And but we were leaving my nephew's seventh birthday party at my sister's house. In in the car, my mother said, "I cannot believe your sister was not at her son's birthday party." Mm-hmm. I said, "Mother, what are you talking about? We just left her house. She was right there." Oh, there you go, covering for her. I won't go into the whole thing, but she mm-hmm. was obsessed. She had absolutely no recall that my sister was there, at which point I thought, oh my God, this is no longer, this is a different issue. Mm -hmm. This is really a memory issue. Mm -hmm. And can we tell you when that's going to happen? No, but inevitably a light bulb goes off and a caregiver will will see that. Um, And that's when we definitely get into acceptance at that point when you say, Elaine. Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, but they also, the caregiver also feels guilty. Yeah. They mm-hmm. feel guilty. What can I do? What didn't I do? What didn't um, I see? I can That's take that care would of make them. a difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we do hear that a lot. We use the, uh, this is another one of my strong messages is delete guilt. Guilt, in my opinion, is something when you've done something purposely to injure another person. You didn't do anything. What you have is huge regret. I so regret this has happened to Hank. I so regret this is happening to Marjorie. Now that we regret it, we do what we can do with the parameters that we have. Mm -hmm. The guilt does not help you at all. So what you're saying, Kay, is that we're not gods and we cannot we cannot control whether somebody has dementia or not. We can't. No matter when we find out. That's right. That's right. Now, mm-hmm. to that point, if, um, if I'm and I, if you've got someone who's a chronic alcoholic and the only thing you can, uh, oftentimes that's when a partner is very angry because they've put up with it for so many years. And then they're stuck in this horrible condition. Uh, But there's nothing you could have done or you would have done it. Uh, You weren't able or willing to address the alcoholism. That's the one thing that I can say um, is disappointing and can be hurtful because you realize, had I been stronger, had I made decisions, had I put ultimatums there mm-hmm. and stood with them, mm-hmm. it might have been different for all yeah. of us. Well, what I what I would say to that, Kay, is is that the person living with alcoholic for a long term, mm-hmm. long time generally has their own disease called codependency. Oh, absolutely. And they're typically sicker than the alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to see those of us who are codependent, it's hard for us to see our disease. It's easier to see what's what the alcoholic is doing. And people tend to not point out that I'm the problem if my spouse is drinking and I'm doing nothing about it. Right. So at least the alcoholic the alcoholic has it pointed out. We codependents needed to point it out out more. And so I think it's just understanding that, well, that person was ill with their disease of addiction. I would say, and I was ill with my disease of codependency, but now how am I going to take care of myself, but make sure this person is cared for as well? Precisely. You don't have to choose which, who gets care. You both need it. Right. 
One of you Birkin. needs professional care. The other needs to uh, make sure that they survive mm-hmm. healthfully. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how do you get that care? Uh, through therapy support, through support mm-hmm. groups. And also in time, your world has gotten very small because people, as we talked earlier, they step away. They don't want to see what could be happening to them. So mm-hmm. your responsibility to be healthy and have a fuller life again is right. to reach out and rebuild and rebuild uh, relationships if mm-hmm. possible or, or new support ones. groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Support groups like like yours um, have been so helpful to my clients. I've sent so many people to UK, and that support groups just make such a difference. Just the emotional support of it, and even the support. I remember um, the support I heard once from a client that the husband kept unplugging the appliances in the house because he saw the red light on, and the support group said, "Put a piece of tape over it." (laughs) You know, (laughs) some of it's so obvious, but we just don't. I know. So just those simple little little helps as well. Exactly. Yeah. I like to run on over into, I'd like to go into next, kind of continue with the topic, but kind of change it a little. We talked about how lifestyle choices can affect the risk or onset of dementia. Um, but those lifestyle choices tend to be, they run in the family. We tend to learn our lifestyle choices from our family. Absolutely. But are there forms of dementia that run in a family? Would you speak uh, to those? Less than 5% of the world carries a gene, uh, EOP, EOPA, less than 5% of the world has that gene. And if you do have that gene, you still have 50% chance of it skipping you in terms mm. of producing Alzheimer's. And that's for Alzheimer's, okay? Um that's the one condition uh, that has a perpet- could be genetic. Okay, um, uh, Huntington's disease is another one that is is genetic condition. Uh, but if you have vascular dementia, that's your own body. That's mm-hmm. uh, your vascular health, and. That's not a genetic condition. It, you, you could have a genetic condition that causes um, vascular dementia, but you're not going to transfer that gene to your children mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a dementia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a lot of times uh, doctors will say to somebody that, you know, you've had dementia in four generations. Do you want to be tested for it? Um, my understanding is that more times than not, people don't want the test because they don't want to, they're just going to live their life as well as they can live their life. They're going to put everything in order, knowing what could happen Mm -hmm. and not be cavalier, but they don't want to live knowing that that could be in there. Yeah. And all of us could just choose to have a lifestyle with better choices. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you have the diagnosis though, it's also reported uh, for insurance Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not allowed to drive if you get in an accident it's always your fault no matter what happened and so that's another reason not to get tested wow have it on your record that's good to know it's really important to tell people Mm -hmm. so alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia yes 70 percent and then it's followed by uh vascular dementia followed by uh FTLD, frontal temporal dementia, followed by Lewy body, um, and then we Parkinson's. believe that my dad's dementia was from being a prisoner of war, being the beaten. Trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's another condition that can impact like you is traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it was traumatic brain injury, not the PTSD itself, but the traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. You believe exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Another. But we look at the concussions with um, athletes, yeah. and oh, that sure. CTE, that that is something that could be avoided uh, if you weren't going head on with mm-hmm. a helmet into somebody else's helmet or right. hitting your head with a soccer ball. They're seeing that all of these things cause uh, CTE. Yeah. And um, so there again, it's... Yeah. 
things. So many psychiatrists do. and neurologists I know won't allow their children to pay, play heavy contact mm-hmm. sports for a reason, yeah. That's you right. know, and insist yeah. on, insist on, um, I know my helmet has saved me a few times on my, my mountain bike. It's very, yeah. very important. <laughs> so, Kay, what, what are the causes of dementia? Well, we have nearly 100 different forms, but I could say that vascular dementia, which is the second most prominent diagnosis, is uh, usually the result of someone having a stroke or several multi-strokes or a heart attack where you have blood deprivation to the brain, blood and oxygen deprivation. Um the frontal temporal dementia and Lewy body dementia, we really don't know why it happens, frankly, but we just know when we're trying to pinpoint what type of dementia it is, uh, the segments of the brain that are affected. Uh, Lewy body oftentimes is misdiagnosed as Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have really comprehensive diagnostic testing to know that. Uh, You know, I'm sorry to say that I can't go down a list and say this one happens because of this, this one happens because of this. Mm -hmm. It's how the amyloid plaque in the brain is interfering with different synapses and the part of the brain that's been infected, which is why having a brain scan is so critical Mm -hmm. and maybe every three to five years having another one because you see where the shrinkage in the brain is. Oh, oh, oh. And you you want a functional MRI? Yes. And you want to know where is the damage Mm -hmm. in the brain? That helps you know uh, pretty definitively what kind of a dementia you have. And then you know what the conditions that are appropriately associated with that dementia. Uh, so you want to make was... sure that your insurance force them to get that, and that's where somebody like Gray can come in very handy. Find somebody you can't <laughs> advocate. Find somebody to help you advocate with your insurance company to get right. that taken care of, to get that functional MRI of the brain so you can really yes. see what's going on uh, because there are um, requirements by law um, that Greg can talk on ad nauseum about at the dinner table, <laughs> uh, which just shoot me now. Uh, well, super exciting, bad. stimulating dinner conversation yeah. for me, my Listen, favorite. I, I don't like it either, but that's all. Yes, our you reality. love talking about that stuff. It just, but yeah, it's really important. I say, Greg, you know, people are afraid to ask the doctors. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I just had this yesterday, and I said, "Well, what did the doctor say?" Well, he said it's dementia. Tells me who this really important doctor is. I said, well, excuse me, this is not a great doctor. He's not ordering an MRI. Your husband has these conditions. He's not helping you. Well, so ask for what you want. So hang and on. And if they tell you can't have it for your insurance, then call Greg and find out how you fix that. <laughs> so, but, but Kay, also, I think when you talk about that, it kind of brings me back to what I find happens with people who are no longer as young as I once was, that old people get put into a category of, well, they're just old, so oh, we absolutely. won't bother doing, yeah, you know, no. doing yes, that exactly. testing, mm-hmm. oh, that you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you have, truth be known, you have doctors that know their patient doesn't want to hear this bad news. And if they tell them the truth... They will leave that practice, and they don't want that to happen. And yeah. I know this to be factually based. People do want to shoot the messenger. They mm-hmm. do. They do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is, listen, this is your life. Mm-hmm. You need to ask for what you want. And if you have a doctor that fights that, then you go around that doctor. And if your insurance won't pay for it, absolutely call Greg. If I know that I, I no, I'm serious. Yeah, we need seriously. to advocate for ourselves. Well, that's Greg the loves whole nothing point. more than yeah. a good fight. Oh, well, <laughs> if you, if you know where the fight is, go for it. Yeah, well, you deserve that's on another. We'll do another episode on that. I'm fighting. Mm, no, on <laughs> insurance and stuff. 
Okay. Well, and that and that is we critical. Did. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, learning to be your own advocate and advocating for your loved one is the greatest gift in the world. Uh, absolutely, and yeah. that's and our and people are, are reluctant to do that, and you realize that. It, and it's very simple, like the Japanese say, the nail that sticks the highest gets the hammer first. Perfect. Well, that means oh. you should be the nail because you that you're going to get the hammer, but it's just. You have to advocate, and and do. people that are are suffering from stuff, they're not. They don't. They don't have the energy yes, to do it. That's right, and that's that the whole your, thing. That's your role as the care partner, yeah. whether you're the and adult child or the spouse. Um, you have to have an advocate. Well, I mean, and I, and like you said, it came. Maybe I'll put it in more street terms. You're really fighting for your life on some of these well, things. Absolutely. Yeah, and you just you need to recognize that. Absolutely. So. And, you know, if somebody has vascular dementia, it doesn't mean that it has to progress to death. Uh, maybe there are, if, if you know that's a condition, maybe there are things that can be modified to help you. Uh, you're not going to get rid of it, but you may diminish the advancement of it. Yeah. Well, it, it is. I, yeah. I would also talk about the kids. You know, early onset uh, dementia, uh, we have got adult children. I have uh, young adult children. Yes. So I know you were a yeah. child of a, someone with, with dementia, but also those younger folks, okay, I want to talk, speak to those kids. People in their teens, in their 20s, I've had those patients, those family, family members, members in my office. What would you say to them, Elaine and Kay? What would you say to them? I would say... Understand how this disease happens. Love them in the moment. Right. Uh, embrace them in the moment. Um, be open to how they are going to evolve. Remember the part of them that mattered the most to you, how they touched your lives, and repay it. Mm -hmm. uh, a person with a dementia may not remember exactly what was said, but they will remember the tone in which it was said. Okay. The feelings. So feelings are right on the top of the skin. Mm -hmm. So love them, be kind to them, engage with them. When it's uncomfortable for you, kiss them and tell them you'll see them again soon. Uh, again, just say, I regret I don't have the patience today to stay longer. Say that to mm -hmm. yourself. Don't say, I feel guilty I couldn't do it. I just regret this is how much I can do today. Mm -hmm. Just embrace the person they are. Accept that you are grieving. This is to your earlier point. People that are families are grieving for years because of this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And half the time, they don't even realize that they're grieving because mm -hmm. every day they're losing a little more of that mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And it's very depressing. It's heartbreaking. They don't want to let go. You know, to be candid, um, as people progress with these diseases and they have less awareness, they actually start looking healthier and, and younger and fresher happier. than they mm -hmm. did years before. Yes. And they have nothing to worry about. <laughs> so then there's the finality of them dying. And that's a different type of grief. We're letting go of who they were. And that relationship we had. But for years, there's the sadness of seeing them. You're losing that person. And the yeah. plans that you had, uh, whether it's a teenage child that might have a parent with early onset as early as their 30s or 40s. Uh, we're definitely seeing an increase in that. I don't know why. I don't think we've come up with a scientific reason for that. But we are seeing it. So, uh, and we even have some young children, a small percentage, that are developing Alzheimer's as young as seven and eight years old. And oh my we don't gosh. understand why. Yeah. I don't. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. Well, one thing I also hear from the the adult children um, is, you know, they have a couple reactions. One reaction might be, well, I'm really kind of behind my peers because I've been busy helping my parent with my parent. So I'm behind my peers in terms of what they've accomplished. The other thing that I hear is some jealousy. My friends still have their parents. Mm. Oh, yeah, I understand Why did this happen to me? This isn't fair. All normal, obviously, understandable, and valid. I very valid. It's it's crummy. It's not fair. No. Uh, Mm. That's how my sister and I felt with our father's death. That was really unfair. We lost our father, who had been a vibrant person, totally alert and capable, uh, chronic heart disease as a result of the pressures. And uh, uh, the day he died, he was totally aware that he was dying. And it was very difficult. That was more difficult than losing my mother. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think we can both appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, nothing is fair. You know, there mm-hmm. are no good diseases, frankly. <laughs> and uh, it's not fair if someone develops a type of can- terminal cancer uh, in their 20s or 40s or 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems very unfair. What is mm-hmm. difficult about this disease is, as Elaine referenced, caring for her mother who could participate and knew what was going on versus caring for her father that had no clue uh, and couldn't let her know what he really needed. You, mm-hmm. That's the challenge for the care partner. What do they really need? You know, when we have babies, if they cry, they're either wet Hungry or tired. <laughs> Pretty much it. And mm-hmm. I did have a baby monitor in my, my bedroom <laughs> for my dad, so I knew what he was doing at night. Yes. Oh. But we don't know what it is. that. The, so that's we have to become detectives. Um, we know that they ate, so they're not hungry. It's possible that they have indigestion. They can't tell you that. A UTI, a urinary tract infection, mm-hmm. if their behavior starts to go wiry, it's probably 99% chance that either the male or the female has developed a UTI. And maybe mm-hmm. they're, um, they could get it because they're dehydrated. They could get mm-hmm. it because um, we haven't changed their uh, undergarments mm-hmm. quickly enough and they've been sitting in moisture mm-hmm. too long. Uh, those are. And a are, lot of times there's no symptoms. Imagine as a caregiver, don't you feel, you feel like it's an impossible situation? And oh, then, absolutely. Yeah, and then the then I can imagine. I mean that it's angry, you make it it's very frustration or anger provoking and then you you feel ashamed or or you know, guilty that you're feeling having this range of emotions with like your your parents. It seems it's like very it's really difficult. difficult. Yeah. Uh I will say full disclosure. Uh for reasons I don't know, I I only became aggravated and angry at the situation, never at my mother. Yeah. Somehow I knew that it wasn't her fault. Uh, but I did have a drink every night, and some nights I had three. <laughs> and it took me, and that was not my MO at all. Yeah. And it yeah. took me a year and a half after we placed my parents and my dad died and then my mother mm-hmm. was in the care home for 10 more years. It took me a year and a half to curb that mm-hmm. because I wasn't used to drinking like that. Mm-hmm. But I needed to dull my feelings. Oh, yeah. So I can see how that happens. I also can understand, not excuse it, but I can understand why someone could get physically rough with oh, yeah, the patient. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just can't take it anymore. Right. And then That's why I would run off and scream in my pillow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> scream in your pillow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Elaine would go out in her car, even yes. in the heat of the summer here in the desert, turn on the air conditioner, turn on the radio, and scream to the <laughs> top of her lungs. Yeah. Good idea. And that's a great way to release the anxiety, Absolutely. the fear, yeah. the anger, all of that. And plus, you're looking at someone that, you know, they were there for you all your life. 
And yeah. I, I, it's one of, it's one of my clients, she used a lot of humor. She'd come in my office and she'd tell me the things that her mother had done or her husband. Uh-huh. And we would just laugh and laugh and laugh, yeah. have a big belly laugh about it. Same release as crying. Exactly. But that was kind of her way. She would definitely get angry. I haven't ever had a caregiver come in and tell me that they that they did not get angry directly at the person. I've always, that's always oh. happened. And then they feel hugely guilty afterwards yeah. and yeah, all those kinds cycle. of things. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just like, you know. And we all and we all really understand it. We do. But I I'll imagine, you, but it's different understanding and then being in the heart of it going through it. I mean, right. That's a different You guys different are the experts. Path. Well, I'll tell you, it's <laughs> very valuable to keep in the format of your mind. Yeah. Remember, they could be very, very upset with you. It's how you respond they're over it, and you're still upset because yeah. they were angry with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah, know how many but... times I had that with my mother, and then I would leave the house where she was, and I would call 20 minutes later, how's my mother? She's fine. She, I, she's fine? Oh, yeah, she's over. She doesn't remember this happened. It would take me hours to let go. <laughs> and uh, that's another thing to accept. How you, <sighs> even if you're just seething mm-hmm. it's how you say it to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can say i just can't stand what you're doing to me mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound harsh as opposed to i can't stand what you're doing to me yeah. <laughs> they will remember the harshness without knowing why yeah. they will remember the gentleness without knowing why yeah that's interesting oh like little mirrors if you put put a mirror up to yourself and you're speaking softly like Kay was just doing, mm-hmm. you, you can actually say that with a smile. Yeah. And they feel relaxed. Yeah. It's the feeling. Right. It is. Yeah. It yeah. really is. When my boys uh, were little, uh, one of my favorite things to say to them when I was absolutely aggravated is I would say, gentlemen, and I use the term loosely, please come with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'd have a chuckle yeah. to myself. Yeah. Yeah, pu- and sometimes I was in public and somebody would look at me and laugh along with me. But that's what I would do is I'd yeah. all the time say, gentlemen, that's right. and I use the term loosely. <laughs> and it was yeah. just my way of, and I think finding humor, whatever it is you've got to do that gets you through you it. You have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there the, are times we'll sit back and laugh and think, oh my God, I cannot believe I just did that or I said mm-hmm. that or whatever. <laughs> but remember, there there. Their window of retention will get to be a nanosecond. Mm-hmm. And so what what we owe it to ourselves and to them is to remember um, if, if they could change, they would change. They are not doing this on purpose. Yeah, um, they don't choose it. And this, if we can learn to let it go, and remember not to take it personally. I know that's a big ask because mm-hmm. I know I had to learn to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they could, they would. Yeah. Nobody wants to behave two, like this on purpose. Two questions before we end. One is, I'd like you to speak to people who have been placed. And they've been placed for a while. And at first, it's very difficult for them oftentimes, right, in the family. But one day the family member comes in and George has picked up a girlfriend. Mm, okay. And he's loving on her and kind of ignoring the wife. May not remember a whole lot about her. What do you say to what do you mm. say to George's wife or Mildred's husband? Oh my God. <laughs> okay, we are familiar with that because yeah. it does happen. Yeah. And sure. my personal observations, I, I know Elaine's probably got some insights too. And I really, I say this with authenticity. George was used to a very loving wife. And the lady in the care home was used to giving affection Mm. to someone. Maybe that's holding hands or having their hands held, or maybe that's putting their hand on the shoulder, or maybe that's a hug. George really, as impossible it is to believe, 
George doesn't realize that's not his wife. That is someone extending warmth to him. And he is going to reciprocate. Mm. Uh, you're not going to find a, a licensed community, not in the state of California, that is going to allow them to share a bed. They are going to sit and hold hands. Uh, it's extraordinarily painful for the spouse really? that's been caring all that time. I don't pretend it's not. But our efforts are to sit down and say to them, let me offer you this scenario. And fortunately, in time, they come to see it. Um, I did have a client uh, very shortly after they had been placed. And before I could even, I was informed by the management that he had had a friend now uh, that he walked with everywhere and held hands and sat next to. And my plan was to go and talk to her and say, next time you go, I would like to have this conversation so you're somewhat prepared. Here's what I think is happening because I knew who she was as a wife and how she cared for him. Unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to see her in person before that happened. She walked in. Her husband came over and said, I want you to meet my new wife. And it was devastating. It took us a lot of time with the whole family to come to adjust and for her to eventually see. And, and I was very honest. I said, look how, look how you took care of your husband. He's got somebody that smiles at him and wants to hold his hand. This is what you always did together. You're only here for a short time every day. And he's used to that kind of attention. And that was really true. She finally came to adjust and accept it and realize because he was always so happy when she walked in. Mm. He was not trying to replace her. He was just filling the gap when she wasn't there. Mm. You know, Sandra Day O'Connor was a very, uh, her husband had Alzheimer's and this happened to her husband in the care home. And it became public, and they were everyone in the world was expecting her to just uh, come unhinged. And she said, Someone is giving him attention when I'm not there. Oh. Why would I want to deprive my husband of someone's attention? That's they were not so sleeping loving. together, they were not having sex mm -hmm. in these cases. That's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I had another client. Um, that was really distressed about this. And I explained to her afterwards. And in time, she came to say, boy, when I walk out that door, I am so happy that Marion is standing there with George. And oh. I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I get to leave. And But she really came to see that she wasn't replaced. That lady was just filling the gap when mm -hmm. she wasn't there. Yeah. Now, I don't Thank think you. that would be easy to adapt to. No. So I admire them greatly. Thank but you, But they Kate. did really come to understand it was the disease. And last but not least, what advance, advances have been made in the treatment of dementia? Well, we have some new medication. Uh, to date, uh, it looks like it helps perhaps 18% of the people who are eligible for the medication. And unfortunately, it, uh, I believe right now it costs over $50,000 a year. Uh, Medicare is now looking at picking up some of that cost, but the copay is still going to be so thousands when, of months. When families months. hear that, Kay, they're hearing, oh, you mean it's a cure? No. No. Thank you. What? Thank you. It is not a cure. We do not have a cure. What these medications are doing is they are showing in a good percentage of cases, a slowing of the progression. It has not eliminated, we have not cured them at all. We right. have really delayed the advancement, but not cured them. 
So these lifestyle changes, doing them with the diagnosis, when the diagnosis has been made, does that make a difference? It can. It really it can. can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some of these things are so simplistic that you think, well, how hard is that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we offer anyone that would be interested. We do uh, brain longevity training in our company and they can reach out to us. We tell them how to do it, mm-hmm. um, connect them with some YouTubes that they can YouTube channels that can show them a lot of things or come in for a class. It's never too late. It's just not too late. But we are really light years away from a cure. Light years away. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some really great books out there, too, that I think are really important to discuss. One of them that I would like to mention is Chasing Life by Sanjay Gupta. Gupta. G-U-P-T-A. We all know Sanjay. I love, love, love his work. Uh, Also... Interestingly enough, there is a lot of data on the Nun study, which is pretty fascinating, and the conclusion yes. they draw from it. It's worth yes. it's worth looking into and reading yes. it. It is. It so, is. Because it talks about exactly what you're saying, Kay, about lifestyle, about you know, about I mean, their. I'm not saying their life wasn't didn't have upheavals. Oh no, 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 but their no, no, life. No, no, they weren't no, raising no. children. They weren't keeping jobs. They didn't have to work job security. Yeah, no, I, I that yeah, it's right. just it's I, just interesting. But it that, is important to know. That's my point. Yeah. It is yeah. it yeah. is important to know that there are ways to change how we live our life. Yeah, and also a big fan of Dr. Sanjay over here, um, Gupta again. Yeah. His book Keep Sharp, uh, uh-huh. another really great book that I highly recommend. Yes. Last but not least is Neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. by Moheb Konstandi. Yes. Moheb Konstandi. So recommend those books. They'll be at the bottom. Is there something you guys would both want to add or we've missed or anything like that? Um, I would just invite anybody, if it's appropriate, um, that's local, or not even have to be local. We work with people all over the country. But um, if you ever want to reach out to us at Dementia Health Center, we'd, we'd love to answer your questions. Um, and correspond with you and help you any way we can. And we can also help find resources for you locally. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Thank you so much, Elaine, for coming. You're Thank you, Kate. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Caveman and Counselor, where we bring you a unique blend of professional insights and practical perspectives on behavioral health. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to share this episode with others. And don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on future episodes. And hey, for those who'd like to support our work, we have a Patreon page where you can make a donation and gain access to exclusive content. Thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, take care of your mental health.